0: Thank you for bringing it down to a low roar. Sweet to hear your fellowship, really a delight. Galatians chapter 2, this is a passage that I've preached here before, but it is a delight to my heart. In fact, I'm thinking about it this weekend for this reason. We as Americans have many mottos. Our country had many mottos. You remember these? No taxation. Okay. okay. We have the mottos There, some have said, stood up and said, I have not yet begun to fight. Give me liberty. Okay, those are famous in American history. Galatians chapter 2 strikes me that Paul is at that moment where he is presenting a truth, and he is going to lay out a motto, something that you and I can grab onto, a thought, a phrase that would catch our attention and stick with us. For me, it has stuck with me for many years. If If there was a life verse, this would be the verse that talks not only about a motto to live by, but it also reveals very simply in a very short fashion the secret, the success formula. There's a pastry shop we visited last weekend in, in Lisbon. It's been around since 1837. It is famous for the pastries that they produce and there are lines at that place to get in there. It has been around and passed from generation to generation I think within this family. And one of the reasons that they are so unique is that they have a secret recipe that nobody knows. In fact, if I understand the whole story right, only five living people know the recipe. What they do in this booming business is they have other people that they go about and they prepare the basic pastry before they bake it. But then one of those five comes in and adds those special ingredients at the very end. And for generation after generation since 1837, there's only been five people who know those special last ingredients that make it so unique. When one of them passes away, they get another person to take their spot. So that at any time when they're baking, one of them can show up and do that special job. Galatians 2 isn't like that. Galatians isn't a secret that is kept apart and only a handful know about. Paul is broadcasting it out loud. He and his motto and his statement is saying I want you to know what has impacted my life. The, the motto I live by and it's the formula for success that I am operating it by, uh, operating by and I want to share it with you. And he writes it in very simple words that he lays out what we need to do to be spiritually successful. We read in Galatians 2, verse 20, these words, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me And the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. To be spiritually successful, you adopt this model and you follow what it says. Number one step in this success is simply doing this, be converted by Jesus Christ. Be converted by Jesus Christ. Or should we say, simply put it another way, be saved by Jesus Christ? He says in these words, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. He isn't talking about dying physically. He isn't doing what some people have done in foreign countries, where, like in the Philippines and others, where we have visited in the past, we saw people brutalize themselves, we saw people and heard of people crucifying themselves literally to a cross, to atone for their sins, to, to repeat what Jesus has done. He isn't saying that's what he's doing. He's not talking physically that he's, he's doing something to take his life away, to sleep on a bed of nails so that he would get to heaven. That's not what he's saying. He says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. He is saying, I am talking in a spiritual sense. I am talking in a symbolic sense. He says, I am relaying to what Jesus has done. I am relying upon what Jesus has done. As Jesus was crucified in some way, shape, or form, I am totally identifying with that and I am crucified with him. In other words, I have stopped relying upon myself to get me into heaven. I am no longer relying upon my baptism. I am no longer relying upon my church membership. I'm no longer relying upon what I know in trivia and Bible verses and books of the Bible. I'm no longer relying upon my money. I'm no longer relying upon my good looks or good works to get me into heaven. I'm not relying upon anybody else I am identifying with what Jesus has done. I am relying upon what he has done when he died and gave his life for me. I, in that same way, am crucified with him. I recognize that Jesus died in my place, suffered for my sins, that he gave his life so that I could have forgiveness. I am crucified with Christ. He doesn't cry out, I go to such and such a church. I'm a Baptist. I'm an American. He says, No, I am crucified with Christ. He's converted by Jesus Christ. Now, what stands out about the conversion is this several different thoughts. If you were to examine it deeply, this conversion that he talks about is personal. The way it is laid out in the original language, the I is emphatic. I am crucified with Christ. He isn't saying, I have this conversion because of my mom and dad, what they have done. I am converted because of what the group has done or what my family has done. He says, I personally came to a point where I had to call upon Christ. Now, many in this room remember that time. Some of us don't remember the exact moment, the exact exact hour. Some of us are confused because we said that we think we prayed here, but we prayed that week later and that week later and that week later. But we know that there was a time in our life That we came to a point where we said, I need you to be my Savior. I cannot get myself into heaven. I need you to forgive me of my sins. His conversion was personal. His conversion was provided. In the original language, it's the idea that I have been crucified by somebody else doing this work. Somebody else has done this to me. It's called a passive verb that Jesus Christ has given his life, that he has taken away my sins, this crucifixion, this dying to my old self and living for the glory of God, he said that is something that God has done in my life. Not that I have produced by going to church, by, by b- being determined, by making some commitment of some way, shape, or form, he says, but this is something God has done in my life. I have eternal life. I've been birthed into God's family because God did a work in my heart. I called to Him. I repented of my sin. I asked Him to convert me, to save me, and He did. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He talks about His conversion being personal. He talks about being provided. He talks about being permanent. I have been and still am crucified. It's a perfect passive in the original language. It's the idea that God did something in my life a while back and it continues as it goes on and on and on. And he's laying it out very clearly that if you want success in your life, you want to be a spiritual individual, this is the path you start. You get converted. You let God provide you your salvation. You let him work in your heart. And when he does that, he gives unto us what type of life? Eternal life that never ends, that never ceases. And I can look back in my life and say back in 1973, and I know that was a long time ago for some of you. 1973, as a teenager at age 16, I called upon Christ. I didn't know a whole lot about him, I just knew that I was a sinner bound for hell and deserved it because I was a sinner. And I knew that Jesus had died in my place. And I had heard from the preacher showing me from the Bible the last few days that Jesus Christ is willing to forgive me of my sins if I would just repent of them and ask Him to be my Savior. And I remember calling upon Him. And the moment that I called upon Him, He gave me eternal life. That life has never stopped. And you know what's better yet? It will never stop. That's eternal life. That's being converted by Christ. That's turning to Him. By the way, there's something else about his conversion. It was personal. It was provided. It was permanent. It's publicized. It's publicized. It's true in Paul's life. It was that same type of conversion that occurred in time and time again with believers in the New Testament. When they got born again, they wanted to share it. They wanted to tell others. The blind man, he couldn't help but say, once I was blind, but now I see. You know, we were on the trip. We get back from the trip, and some of you have already said, oh, I saw your trip. I I saw everything about your trip and saw this and saw that, and it's like, how did you know about our trip? Well, that's because in modern life, right, you do something exciting. You do something that is phenomenal, and where do we put that information that's exciting us? We put it on the media, electronic media, and there's nothing wrong with that. But we do that with things that are, we're enthused about, we're excited about. And the news, we want everybody to know, this is what happened in my life. What have you done with your salvation experience? It's supposed to be publicized. It should be declared. It should be talked about. It's the greatest gift that anyone has ever given you. It's, it's going to last forever and ever. It was free. It cost Jesus his life. It is an amazing gift that we should talk about. We should be excited to invite the kids to Bible school. We should be enthused to be able to share the Word of God and tell the the kids down the street because they might get born again. And by the way, speaking of kids getting born again, the majority of people who get saved, the vast majority get saved when they're youngsters. Take advantage of the opportunity. Let other kids in your neighborhood know. Why? Because your conversion is publicized. Now, if you don't get born again, wow, what a terrible option. He that believeth not is what? Condemned already. I've told you the story about an airplane pilot by the name of Henry Drummond. That years ago, he was the co-pilot for a, for a shuttle trip from Boston to New York City that would do every day a shuttle. And Drummond was there with the crew the one day that took off from Boston, heading down from Logan Airport down into New York City. And when they took off, they started climbing, and they got all of a sudden a signal on the dash that said that one of the doors at the back were in this small shuttle plane that held you know just a couple dozen passengers, that the door was somewhat ajar. He immediately told the pilot he's going to go back. They tried to radio the tower, that maybe they have a problem. But in the meantime, he's going to go back and check the door. So he we went back, and he worked somewhat at the door, and the door all of a sudden let loose, and he was sucked out. Then the pilot now is reading this, the instruments and realizing he's just lost his co-pilot. The door is open. You can tell all, you know, within the cabin, there's all kinds of air movement, and it's, it's mayhem. He radios that he needs to land immediately, return to Logan, get down. You know, he has to make an emergency landing. And as he's coming in, he hears from the tower, you've got somebody hanging on at the tail. (laughs) What had happened when Drummond was sucked out, somehow he grabbed onto some piece of metal that was on the fuselage of the plane. They landed. He survived. (laughs) Then when they came to rescue Drummond, they had to pry his fingers off of that metal you know, because he was just hanging on for dear life. Well, a reporter asked him afterwards in the hospital one of those famous stupid reporter questions. Okay? <laughs> you know, asked him the question, Mr. Drummond, how was it that you were able to hang on? He looked at him and shook his head and said, what were my options? <laughs> what are your options if you don't accept Jesus Christ? Oh, you're going to rely upon your baptism? You're going to hang on to your church membership? You're going to hang on to your family background and heritage? None of that will get you into heaven. Your options, if you hang on to them, will lead you into damnation. Jesus said, I am the only way into heaven. I am the way, the truth, the life. No man shall come unto the Father but by me. You need I need to be converted by Jesus Christ. Has it happened in your life? Now, if you sit here this morning and say, I don't know. I don't remember. At the close of this service, we're going to sing a song. And we're going to have staff members stand over by that door they and their wives, and they will gladly take you down that hallway into a private room and show you from the Bible what you need to pray, what you need to do to make sure that you are on your way to heaven. You say, but I think so, but I don't remember. I I just don't. Why don't you settle it once for all? Why don't you call upon Christ? When we sing, go and talk with somebody and get it squared away. Your first step in this motto to live by that gives a formula for sex, success says this, be converted by Jesus Christ, number two. Number two, be conscious. Be conscious of Jesus Christ or be sensitive to Jesus Christ. There are moments where we're not real sensitive to what's going on around us. We're not aware of different things. Uh, we were, I was telling the people in Portugal when I preached last Sunday that when I was a little kid, And kind of young enough that I could hide still behind a mailbox, those big mailboxes in the street, that my brothers and I, what we would do is we would take wads of paper, ball them up, and light them on fire. When cars would come by at the stop sign right by the mailbox, we would throw them at the cars. We wanted to see what would happen if the drivers would panic. I don't know what we were thinking. We never blew up a car. And And I'm not advocating this type of thing, but we would do this. And so we would just you know, get our wads of paper, car's coming, hide, throw it out underneath the car, underneath the gas tank. Very bright, okay? So we would do that, and one night we were playing this game, and I often wondered, what were my parents doing when we were out and about like this? Okay. <laughs> well, I found out one night. We were hiding back here, and this car pulled up, and we threw the wads of paper out. Soon as we all threw, my oldest brother said, it's dad's car. Now we shouldn't have been doing it number one. But if it's our dad's car we shouldn't have been doing it, doing it, doing it at all. Okay, It was so bad. And it was, and I still remember the results of that years later. you think we would have known but then about you know, a few months later we're down in the park. It's called Moorhouse Park in Oatana, And we're down there and you know how these parks have these upright barbecue things that are single pole and then they have the grill up here? Do you know what I mean? Okay. Some of you have no idea what a barbecue is. You only know microwaves. This is something you put the coals in. and it inflamed. So we go down to this park, and we knew we didn't have any of the briquettes, but they always talked about, you know, the briquettes came from fossilized trees. So trees would work. So we went down, and we started stuffing in these sticks into this barbecue thing, and we started it on fire. And the flame is going, and it's going, and it's going, and we thought, hey, if a little flame is good, a lot of it's a whole lot better, right? So let's get bigger branches. And so we're in this public park, and we get this bonfire going. It was a bonfire enough that the trees above started on fire. It was my brother's fault, okay? It, wasn't, it was not me. It was not me. I was just there watching them. Not OK. If we had known that we were going to get into this problem, if we had known that there was park superintendent people there who took us home, we wouldn't have done it. There's so many times that we are not conscious. We were in Portugal last week. Do you know what cactus fruit is? Do you know where it comes from? You know where it's growing on a cactus. You planted some cactus fruit there, right? So one of the projects that the teens did is they went and they cleared away on that bank that you had planted this. They cleared away a lot of the shrub and a lot of things so you could now see all the cactus fruit. Oh, and there was some beautiful large blossoms and there was a whole bunch of fruit. So somebody thought that fruit would be really good to test. So we got the stuff and one of the young people brought it to me and they said you got to taste this. It tastes like a plum. And so I bit into it, and only when I bit into it, they said, but you've re- you got to be careful because not only does it grow on a cactus, but all the cacti are in the plant inside the cactus fruit. You have all kinds of real small, hardly visible cactus tines. I bit into it. For 45 minutes, my wife is plucking out of my mouth with the tweezers All this cactus stuff. Let me recommend to you, do not eat cactus fruit. It hurts. And it just, if I had known that, I wouldn't have done it. It, uh, I had no burning desire to eat cactus fruit. There are so many times in our life that we are not conscious of situations around us. Paul says this. Paul says if you really want to live a successful life, a life that is fruitful, what you need to do is stop and think, Jesus is with me. Look how he phrases it. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet, not I, but what does he go on to say? Christ lives in me. What he is talking about when he says, not I, but Christ lives in me, he is pointing out two things about Christ that we need to be conscious of at all times that we need to be aware of, that we need to be sensitive to. One is this, Christ's ownership of our life. The life that I live right now, it's not mine, it's Christ. I live it but Christ. He is saying and realizing that as he writes later on, he says, I am bought with a price. I am not my own. Therefore, I need to glorify God in my body. You and I need to pause on a regular basis to say, if we are going to really honor the Lord, if we are really going to be spiritually successful, we've got to remember every morning when we wake up, Christ owns me. Christ, he's in charge. I sold my home a year and a half ago, the one that we had lived in for almost 30 years here in Lebanon. We sold that house. We moved across town. Several of you have asked, do you miss the house? Not in the least. We don't miss the 1917 home. I don't miss going over the railroad tracks. Ha ha, to those of you who still have to do them every day. I don't miss it. And we do this once in a great while. We drive by the house just to see what looks different. I would never dare stop at 659 North 3rd Avenue, walk up to the door, and walk in. And say to them, oh, by the way, I don't think you should have painted it this color. I don't think you should have done this. I don't think, why? I don't own it anymore. It's not my house. But it's amazing how some of us in this room think that's the way it can work with our lives. Jesus has bought me. Jesus owns me. I sing about it on Sunday, that Jesus is in charge, but on Monday, it's my life. On Tuesday, I will say the words I want to say. On Wednesday, I'll listen and watch the movies, the music, that I want to listen to and watch, whether it pleases Jesus or not. On Thursday, I'm going to be a little bit dishonest with my finances because it's my life, it's my money. On Friday, hey, it's my time. I don't have to be forgiving. I can be bitter about things that happen during the week, and on Saturday, oh, well, whatever entertainment goes, it's my life. If you are born again... You were bought with a price and you no longer belong to yourself. Jesus owns you. And Paul says this is the formula I need to keep in mind. Remind myself every day that I am not my own. I belong to Jesus. Not only does he talk about ownership, he talks about omnipresence. He says in this text, as he goes on he says in that comment, Yet not I, but Christ is always living in me. Present tense. Ongoing. Christ is here. He's at this moment. He is with me. How much different would we be when we walk out of this church, get into our cars, and remember He is with us in that car? What we say, how we respond, where, where we go, what we talk about, Christ is there. How much of a difference it would make in our lives if we remember this week that when we go out with friends, with buddies, with, with the gals on Friday evening that Christ is going with us, there is no room for anything that is displeasing to him. There's no room for immorality, for immorality. There is no room for greed. There is no room for dishonesty. Christ is with me at all times. And yet we forget this. We forget how Christ knows, Christ sees. Christ is aware. Now, I've shared with you a story that when we were in that teenage years that we had a gas station, and in that gas station there was an area where we work on the car, but there was an office up front, and this office, you could walk in from the outside and then go into the area where we work on cars, and at the bottom of the door that swung open, it was open about, there was an opening at the bottom of the door about four inches or so, so you could see underneath the door if you wanted to look. Well, one night, my brother and I were in charge of the gas station. That was dangerous. And we were in charge of the thing, and so we got into one of the things we we usually do. We would take pellet guns and shoot each other and or take, you know, take a little bit of, you know, some, some different oil cans and throw them at each other. We were, we were just, it, it was dumb. Why my dad ever put us in charge? It just, it was amazing. Anyway, so my brother got me. He did something to me. He probably shot me with his pellet gun. And so I ran into the office, slammed the outside door and went into the back room and thought, I'm going to get him really good. And so the thing that I thought of is I'm shutting off all the lights in the back room where the cars would be worked on and left the little office light on so that when he comes in, I could see underneath the door, I could see the footsteps, and I'd be able to know when he's opening the door. And I took a rag and I pumped it full of grease. It was one of those air pump grease things. And I filled it up so that I'm holding the rag and there's a mound of grease. And I stood back a few feet and I'm waiting and waiting and waiting. The door opens and I hear that he's come in from outside. I see the movement under the door, and as the door opens, I launch this with everything I have, and it hits. I mean, it was like you could hear it just to the face. It was a great shot, folk. It was really good. The problem was I saw my brother standing behind the man I just hit. (laughs) The man who I just hit, he pulls the rag down, and I realize his name is Johnny Waltz. He is my dad's best customer. All right, let me rephrase that. He was my dad's best customer. And Johnny's face is filled with grease. And he just looks into the dark and he says, was that you, Wayne? (laughs) Why he would assume it was me, I still do not know. If I had known Johnny was there and not my brother Bob, I wouldn't have thrown the rag. I told you about my experience that I never told my family about for several years. We were in Florida. We're in the Keys. We're swimming. I can't see because I didn't have eye surgery up to that point. I go swimming Snorkeling, I get seasick. I get out. I'm in the boat chumming the fish. I decide to go back and join my wife. I swim out to where Deb is. I see her white shirt. I come up, grab her hand, and we start swimming around, (laughs) snorkeling for a while. As we're swimming after a bit, I start pulling this way, and she pulls that way. I pull this way. She pulls that way. And finally, I pull real hard and get real close and say, my wife does not have a beard. (laughs) This is... I don't know who the guy was, I got out of the water, it was like a shark infested water, I'm out, I'm done. She found me on the boat and said, aren't you snorkeling anymore? Not in your life baby. Just, no way. If I had known it was a guy that I was swimming with for that length of time, I wouldn't have done it. Okay. We do things at times that we're just not aware of. Paul says to be spiritually successful, you need to stop and think Christ is with me. We dare not do the dumb things, the sinful things, the immoral things, the unethical things, the the anger, the gossip, the ridicule, the criticism. Christ hears that at your table. Christ sees the over-discipline that you do. Christ sees the lack of discipline you do. Christ sees and hears how you treat and speak to your spouse. Christ knows what you're looking on in the computer. Christ is right there. Maybe it would behoove some of us to put an empty chair at the table to remind us that he is at this table when we are discussing family matters so we do it in an honorable, honest upright way. Maybe that would stop us from saying things about others we ought not to say. When you are with your friends and you're texting back and forth, do you realize that Jesus knows what you're texting or what you're, what you're sending in your messages? He's aware of those pictures. He's aware of the suggestive words that you use. You say, but I would never use them in church. What's the difference? Christ is with you. If we pause and remember, I've been converted by Christ, I am to be conscious of Christ that He is here with me at all times, He owns me, He is omnipresent, what a difference it makes. The third, the third step in this formula for success is mentioned in the rest of the the verse. Where he makes the comment here, where he says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. There's his conversion. There's being saved by Christ. Yet not I, but Christ is living in me. There's his consciousness of Christ. There's the being sensitive. But watch this. And the life which I now live, in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the idea of commitment. This is the idea of being surrendered. It is a unique way of how he's phrasing this, and many people don't catch it. Watch, watch your, Look at your Bible carefully. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith, and this is the way many interpret this text. I live by the faith in the Son of God. That's not what it says. What word did I change? This is not your faith in Christ, this is the the faith that belongs to Jesus Christ this is not talking about trusting and believing this is the teachings of Jesus the faith of Jesus the declarations of Jesus the teachings the the beliefs of Jesus the creed of Christ he is saying very simply i live by whatever christ has commanded me to do and i do it he says out of pure out of pure gratitude because he loved me and gave himself for me. And Paul is making it very clear that what, I've done, what I do is I am willing to do whatever Christ says I'm supposed to do. What an amazing thought. For Paul that meant that when he was told by Ananias that as a believer that he is supposed to follow the teachings of Jesus Christ and get baptized, do you realize he got baptized as soon as he possibly could? Without debate, without excuse, have you? Do you realize that one of the things he went and did immediately was to share and tell? Why? Because Jesus said, go into all the world and teach all nations, give them the gospel. Do you realize one of the things that Paul got involved in doing was praying? Why? Because Christ told him to do that. He got involved with studying the word of God. He got involved. He tried to get involved with going to church regularly but the people didn't want him because they didn't trust him since he had been a persecutor. But he tried and tried, and tried again. He wasn't looking for an excuse to get away from church. He was drawn to it. Why? Because the teachings of Jesus said, you're supposed to be involved in worship, and you're supposed to minister to other people. And Paul has, has laid out for us very simply that what he's doing. He's not holding back anything. He's not trying to keep back a single thing from what Jesus said. He very clearly says that what he wants to do is spend himself in service for Christ, do what Christ has commanded him to do by the teachings of Jesus. Are you raising your kids in the Word of God? Are you training them like you're supposed to, parents? Are you following the teachings of Jesus in the way you handle your finances? Are you following the teachings of Jesus in the way that you worship? You say, well, obviously I'm here. That doesn't mean you're following the teachings of Jesus. You could be here this morning violating the teachings of Jesus when you're in the midst of worship. If you remember that someone has ought against you or you have odd against someone else in your heart, you are supposed to leave and get right before you continue in the worship. Is there an issue between you and somebody else? That somebody else may be sitting right next to you. Why don't you follow the teachings of Jesus? In the teachings of Jesus, why don't you bless them and pray for those who give you a hard time for your faith? Why don't you, according to the teachings of Jesus, respect and honor your parents? It's commanded. Let your yea be yea and your no, no. Be honest. Be a person of integrity. You and I are supposed to be here gathered to learn about the teachings of Jesus, but does it do any good when we leave here or do we do the same old, same old? Paul says, not me. This is the motto I've taken. The motto I have taken for my life is I got converted by Christ. I am living as if Jesus is with me all the time and I am committed to doing whatever I learn from his word, I will do. I will do. I will do what He commands me to do. Is that your attitude, or are you holding back? I've shared with you that years ago when we moved to Pennsylvania, we were a young, newlywed couple. We moved here. I was starting school, seminary, and my wife and I both worked full-time day jobs, Our uh, full-time jobs, she in the day and I in the evening. And at the same time, I was a full-time student. And so the weekends became very precious to us. And weekends could become a study time, a shopping time, things like in your life. And so what we did is, is once every so often we would have a day where we did nothing. We just kind of shut the books, shut down everything else and it was just our time. And that meant that in those days that it was our time in our one bedroom apartment, we didn't even bother cleaning up the apartment. If we had pizza that night before, the pizza stayed where we were done with it. In those days there was newspapers. Okay, and so we would read the paper, and we decided on those Saturdays, we're not straightening up the paper, we're going to read the important part, the comics, and uh, then let the rest kind of lay around. We didn't make the bed, we didn't do laundry, and I don't mean to be crass, but where we took off our clothes, they stayed. And so we were having what we called Slob Saturday. It was a wonderful day, no pressure, no cleaning up, just slobbing it out in our own apartment. Nobody in the world knows how much of a slob we are this day, but it sure is cool, okay? And we're just relaxing. Get a phone call from my brother, who lives about three miles away, and Dave says, hey, Wayne, I'm working on my car, and I'm thinking, oh, he's going to ask me to help him. And he didn't. He said, do you have a certain tool? And I said, I do. He says, good, I'm on my way over to get it. And he hung up, and I'm going, and this is without cell phones, This is the, and I'm using the landline saying, Dave, 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 and all I hear is the buzz, which means he's on his way. So I hung up the phone, turned to Deb, and did the right thing, said, Deb, they're going to know you're slob. Unless you clean the house really quick, it's going to look terrible for you. I used the pronoun we. Okay, I did, honestly. I said, we need to clean up this place. I'm serious, we went to town. We had about, you know, we had two miles of his to get over here, so we cleaned. Everything got cleaned up. I mean, the, the stove afterwards had clothing in it, okay? <laughs> the pizza box ended up in the clothes closet, but, but it got put away. You know how to make a bed in a moment? You just pull the cover over and stamp everything down. Okay, forget anything underneath. So I'm throwing the clothes, and we had this big walk-in closet that was like six feet by four feet, and this closet became our catch-all. We were throwing t- plates in there and dishes in there and towels in there, and it was just, you know, we, everything went in this closet. And about the time that we got done, we looked at each other, and I said, did you get it all cleaned up so you don't look like a slob? And we looked around and said, Phew, we did it yeah, it's me, Dave. So I open the door, and he has his wife with him. They come walking in, and they look around, and Lucy says, my, oh, my, your place, you guys are really good. We're having slob Saturday. We haven't cleaned anything at our house. (laughs) So we offered him something to drink. They would have a few minutes, so they sit down. So I'm in the kitchen getting the soda. Uh, We at that time would still have called it. Pop, And so uh, we hadn't been converted yet. So we are getting the pop and bringing it out. And Dave calls from the room. He says, hey, by the way, where's that tool? And I said, it's in the hall closet. (laughs) He says, I'll get it. And I'm pouring the thing, goes, nope, that's it. And I came in the hallway and I did the wrestling brother thing, you know, to try to pass. I grabbed him and wrestling him around, turning him away from that closet, you know. Moved him all the way back into the living room. There's no way I'm letting him into that closet. Number one, if he opens it, he's going to get killed by everything crushing out on him. Number two, they have this image of us. This image is that we are the neatest people on this Saturday morning. I'm not going to let them know we're having slob Saturday. Deb might have slob Saturday, but I'm not having slob Saturday. So I went and got the tool brought back, and they never knew we kept it from them. What's in the closet you're keeping from Christ? You look good here. You look wonderful here. You sing so nice. Got your Bibles open to the right spot. You Even know where to go, and sometimes when I'm preaching, I'm giving you 200 verses to look up. You know where to fly through the Bible. Looks wonderful. Your family looks good. Everything looks great. What's in the closet? What real commitment is there to Christ? Following his teachings, what is it really? You see, if you want what Paul is laying out, that success for your life, it's very simple. You need to be converted. You need to be conscious that Christ is part of you. You need to be committed to the point that he is in charge. You don't say no. You don't say later on. You know 1945, Potsdam Ultimatum? Japan is losing the war the United States contacts them and gives them an opportunity to surrender and it's an unconditional surrender they've just dropped the first atomic bomb the ambassador comes back to the United States and he says in Washington the Japanese ambassador says to Washington he says mokusatsu in response to the the offer of surrender it is misinterpreted mokusatsu can mean a couple different things it can be not yet not now we're thinking about it when the state department brought it before the president they said they said no no oh, that's a that's a fair statement that it was no but they didn't add to it they were thinking about it it came across as just a no so the second bomb was dropped and immediately after that, <clears throat> surrender on the plate. What, what is Christ getting from you this morning? Is he getting a mixed message from you this morning? Is it clear to him that you are really surrendered to him? We sing a song at church, a song called The Tender Heart. We sing that from time to time, and it's about the idea of giving your life to Christ. It's a song about surrendering and serving Him. We will sing it as an opportunity to worship Christ this morning, but don't do a mokusatsu with Christ. Don't give Him a mixed message today. This should be genuine. This should be from your heart that you are totally surrendered. If you are unsure of your eternal destiny, you need to be converted.